The latest episode of the Next 5 podcast is all about AI and the business travel sector. I speak to Tim LaBelle, head of product for SAP Concur Spend Solutions. We'll have so much data that our travel will be safer. Shelley Fletcher-Bryant, VP of Advito. AI can certainly contribute to more eco-friendly travel practices. And author and public speaker, Theo Lau. AI can help us predict when it will be a peak travel, more delays, cancelled flights. Listen to the full episode of the Next 5 wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy. The FT. Hello and welcome back to FT Science. This week we dissect transatlantic differences in reporting science and health. I think there's some examples on TV that are, are very shallow and very simplistic. For example, in the coverage of the health reform, it was very easy to get stuck on the death panels. You know, when Sarah Palin said there were death panels, you know, that people were rationing care and that people were dying. This is just gasoline on a fire and nobody's ever found a death panel. And we discover why so many cancer patients seem to waste away. One of the most devastating aspects of cancer is the fact that many victims seem to waste away before our eyes. That wasting syndrome has a name, cachexia. In a recent study, researchers have found two important enzymes that appear to mediate cachexia. I'm Clive Cookson, and you're listening to FT Science. Our regular guest, Diana Garnham, Chief Executive of the UK Science Council, is here with me, and so is my colleague, Andrew Jack, FT Pharmaceuticals Correspondent. And our special guest in the studio this week is Carl Stark, health and science editor of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Welcome, Carl. Thanks a lot, Clive. You're also vice president of the Association of Healthcare Journalists, Carl, and you've come over for the European Conference on Health Journalism at Coventry University. What message are you bringing the Europeans about the state of health and science reporting in the U.S.? We're eager to work with journalists in England and and Europe and share their wisdom. I mean, we have things we know that work, but we find that there are so many silos in healthcare and so many silos in science writing that it's really great for reporters to get together and share techniques and talk about what works. We're the new world trying to explore the old world in a new way. What's working in the new world? I mean, what's good and what's bad about health reporting in the U.S. at the moment? What's good about it is that I don't think the standards have ever been higher, and I think people take health reporting really seriously. It's also a big challenge time for media companies. Newspapers have gone through uh, paroxysms, and a lot of reporters now are covering health as one of many areas. So it's a time of great opportunity and uh, great ferment. I've looked at the staff list for your own Philadelphia Inquirer, and you still have a pretty impressive team of health and science reporters, which I think would be the envy of most UK papers. How have you kept that up? I'm glad you differentiated us from the National Enquirer. Some people don't know the difference. We're the ones who don't cover Elvis, actually. No, we're very fortunate. You know, our publisher is really keen on health reporting. And I have about seven or eight reporters um, in different areas of, of either science or health or environment. And it's a huge focus in the Philadelphia area. You know, we have five, six medical schools. We're third in the country in National Institutes of Health grants. We have huge pharmaceutical companies uh, presence, as Andrew knows. And so there's just so many reasons. We have over 60 hospitals. One out of five American doctors goes through Philadelphia at some time in their training. In terms of Philadelphia, it's meds and eds is sort of one of the expressions, like medical stuff and, and also education. We have a lot of universities. And how's the balance of power between the meds and the pharmaceutical industry and the healthcare providers on the one hand and you journalists on the other? 
It's a great challenge to cover pharmaceuticals. In some ways, it's very closed. And in other ways, it takes a lot of training to penetrate, to learn the language. But I think there's just a lot that can be done. And there's a lot of people trying to break that. Interesting thinking about the differences between the US and and Europe. Do you think there's a difference in the way people value health? You know, when you see what health is now, what, 18% or more of GDP in the US and continues to rise much higher than in the rest of Europe, although not necessarily with, with better outcomes? Well, you know, in the U.S., we like sports that have high scores, and we like baseball and football. We don't like your kind of football because it's too low scoring. So so when there's a lot of medical care going on, people think that's really good. And, and I, I mean, I think there is some attitude, you know, some cultural attitude. I mean, you're right. We have the highest cost health system in the world, and we have poor outcomes among the industrialized West. And we have really great care in some points, and then we have 50 million people who are uninsured. And that's just a huge political problem. The, the studies show that the uninsured die sooner, get less care, get care later. So, I mean, on the one hand, journalistically, it's really interesting to write about. You know, in terms of running like a sane health system, it has a lot of problems. And, and um, in fact, we were talking last night about how in the U.S., the worst thing you can say about a change in the American health system is if it's going to imitate the British system. If you look in the history of health reform in the U.S., there's 100 years of this, of this scaremongering. And it's only like a few legislative geniuses have been able to break through, like Lyndon Johnson. And And does it feel as though the Obama healthcare reforms on the ground are having an impact? They are having an impact in that some of the things have already taken effect, which is kind of interesting. But the main part of it is still under legal assault. And there are these cases that are making their way at glacial pace, like like Jarndyce versus Jarndyce, you know, and, and Dickens, like where the cases are going to go on until they hit the Supreme Court and then we'll know whether they can do it or not. But it's really interesting because the sticking point there is about the mandate, the individual mandate, which basically says to people, you must buy the, the health insurance or else you have to pay a penalty for it if you don't. And that actually was a Republican idea in the early 90s. Bob Dole used it when he ran for president. But things have moved so far right in the Republican Party that now they're running against the mandate. And the mandate is the evil part of the bill. And that's the one that's getting challenged in the Supreme Court. You mentioned earlier about things improving and health reporting hadn't been better, uh, ever been better in the U.S., you felt. Uh, what are the bad things? The bad things that are going on in health reporting, that, that's the question? Yes. Yeah. You know, there's still standards that get violated. Um, there's still, like, outlets that don't get it. There's still schlock work that gets done, and that's sort of sickening to us. I think there's some examples on TV that are, are very shallow and very simplistic. For example, in the coverage of the health reform, it was very easy to get stuck on the death panels. You know, when Sarah Palin said there were death panels, you know, that people were rationing care and that people were dying. This is just gasoline on a fire, and nobody's ever found a death panel. Now, I think it's time for a contribution from our friends in Washington at AAAS and Science. So over to Nadia Ramligan. Thanks, Clive. One of the most devastating aspects of cancer is the fact that many victims seem to waste away before our eyes. That wasting syndrome has a name, cachexia. It's the immediate cause of death in 15% of cancer cases. In a recent study, researchers have found two important enzymes that appear to mediate cachexia. While the work was done in mice, it could help spur the development of new drugs to blunt this devastating wasting syndrome in humans. Cachexia is a multifactorial disease. Author Rudolf Seichner. It's defined by the uncontrolled loss of body weight, and this loss of body weight cannot be really reversed nutritionally, so it cannot be cured by diet alone. And this weight loss is specifically caused by a loss of adipose tissue and muscle tissue. 
Dr. Zeigner and his team used genetically altered mice to investigate the role of these enzymes in cachexia. What we did is we induced cancer cachexia in mice. The initial experiment was just really looking at body weight. Uh, and we were very surprised, actually, that, you know, whereas control mice, they lost body weight after two or three weeks of duration of the experiment. We didn't see any weight loss in the ATGL knockout. And we saw some protection against weight loss in the hormone-sensitive lipids, the HSL knockout. So then we started looking more closely. We looked at loss of adipose tissue and saw kind of the same thing. And what was even more surprising then, we saw also protection against loss of muscle mass. This was really unexpected because originally we thought, you know, if you don't have these lipases, well, maybe it could be kind of logical that they don't lose adipose tissue, but that this also protects the mice from loss of muscle mass was really unexpected and surprising. You can hear a full interview with Rudolf Seigner on sciencemag.org. Back to you, Clive. Thanks, Nadia, and thanks to AAAS. I just checked on the Factiva news database, and that study got zero coverage in the general media anywhere in the world, although Science did feature it on its media release for the current issue of the journal. And I wonder whether that shows that we journalists don't pay enough attention to medical research in less glamorous but still important areas, like cachexia. What do you think, Carl? We are inundated with studies every day, and one of the challenges of the job is to prioritize and to try to determine like what really affects people. And with a basic science move like that, there are just so many things going on that you definitely want to cover some of them, but it's very hard to cover all of them or to cover even most of them. Absolutely true. I mean, I agree. And when we're talking about animal studies like that, there are dozens per week. But I do think that there, even in that case, there are underreported but still important disease areas, and I think cachexia may well be one. It is certainly not a phenomenon I've, I've read much about in the past, and you know, if one could understand more about the mechanism of action, maybe there's potential to use it in both sides, as it were, to deal with obesity as well as, of course, uh, supreme... And I think it's models. quite important to pick up areas of work that affect large numbers of people. I mean, they're very... For the general media, that's something that they could interpret for a wider population because even though they're concentrating on the numbers who died, there are an enormous number of people who actually suffer through their cancer treatment are actually put off going through it fully because of the severe weight loss and the fact that they're feeling so ill. So I think actually those sorts of subjects, which are less glamorous perhaps for the science community, do reach the population and they feel that, well, maybe some really good worthwhile stuff is going on and, you know, they think that's a good thing. I think it's be interesting to take like a cachexia patient and profile them and sort of show really what happens. And I think that would be that would be really interesting. Thanks very much. I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. Next week, the FT Science podcast is taking a break. But please join us again in a fortnight for what will be another packed show. All that's left for me now is to thank Diana Garnham, Andrew Jack and Carl Stark for coming into the studio and Nadia Ramligan for the AAAS contribution. And thank you for listening. FT Science was produced by LJ Filatrani. I'm Clive Cookson. Goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. 
The latest episode of the Next 5 podcast is all about AI and the business travel sector. I speak to Tim LaBelle, head of product for SAP Concur Spend Solutions. We'll have so much data that our travel will be safer. Shelley Fletcher-Bryant, VP of Advito. AI can certainly contribute to more eco-friendly travel practices. And author and public speaker, Theo Lau. AI can help us predict when it will be a peak travel, more delays, cancelled flights. Listen to the full episode of the Next 5 wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy.